0: You're listening to Catalyst Talks, conversations with change agents, outliers, superheroes and truly conscious leaders modeling what it is to be an unstoppable force for good and truth in this world. What lit these catalysts on fire to do their work and what nuggets of wisdom can they share with a world literally on fire? I'm your host, Stephanie Traeger. I'm a transformational catalyst and life coach to Maverick change agents in business leadership and life. On this podcast, I wear an eclectic mix of hats, including Earthkeeper, wayfinder, truth teller, coach, lawyer, business and impact strategist. My intention is holding space for higher purpose, peak wellness, soul mastery, and deeper impact so we can live in harmony with ourselves, each other, and nature. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. If you love it, please share and spread the word. We're on YouTube and all the podcast platforms. See the show notes on CatalystTalks.com for links and enjoy this episode. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My guest today is John Perkins, visiting a second time. He was with us in early 2020, and we were talking about his book at the time, Touching the Jaguar. Very apropos for that time and very apropos for today, we are going to dive into the third edition of his New York Times best-selling book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. And this one blows the whistle on China's economic hitman strategy, exposing corruption on an international scale and offering much needed solutions for curing what we are experiencing today as a death economy. And we're going to talk about what a life economy looks like. So John Perkins, for those who don't know, is an economist, author, activist, and at one time served as chief economist at a major consulting firm where John was advisor to the World Bank, UN, IMF, Fortune 500 companies, and leaders of countries in Africa, Asia, Latin America, and the Middle East, and U.S. government agencies. John Perkins has written 11 books. They've been translated into over 30 languages, and... He has lectured at more than 50 universities, and he was founder of the non-profits Dream Change, for which I sat on the board, and the Pachamama Alliance, he was awarded the Lennon Ono Peace Prize. Thank you, John, for being here. And before we get started and drop into this uninterrupted episode, a word from our sponsor, and that is The Journey of Increase. The Journey of Increase is a mind and life mastery program to increase your powers of conscious influence, mental focus, and manifestation so that you can receive more of what you want on purpose. The Journey of Increase is a self-paced program that comes with a journal that you receive in the mail, and you can write on the paper with a pen, and it has been known to transform lives. You can find out more at journeyofincrease.com. And we dive into the principles in this episode, we dive into the principles of the journey of increase and we, where we're talking about a life economy, how do we transform from a life economy to a death economy? How do we shift perception and believe we can change not only collectively, but how do we do this individually? It takes daily practice. It's taste, It takes shifting how we perceive ourselves and ourselves in relation to others it takes a practice to shift our perception about how we perceive the world and reality, right? We need to believe and speak our new world into being, our new reality into being. And we talk about this today on the episode. So again, you can learn more and jump into the program at journeyofincrease.com. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And now enjoy this episode. Hello, John. Welcome back to Catalyst Talks Podcast. It's great to have you back um, since your last episode here in 2020. And you were there with us speaking about your last book, Touching the Jaguar, and your recent book that's coming out this week, the third in a trilogy of your economic hitman, The Confessions of an Economic Hitman, is really touching the Jaguar. So for people who don't know what touching the Jaguar is, I would love for you to sort of weave that in, but also share why this third book in your Confessions of an Economic Hitman Trilogy, China's Economic Hitman Strategy and Ways to Stop a Global Takeover. Why are you writing this book right now? And why are you touching the Jaguar while doing it?
1: (laughs) Good question, Stephanie. It's good to be with you again. Also, I think we all need to touch this Jaguar uh, because what we... What's happening in the world today is China and the United States are competing for world hegemony, world domination, and it's a race, and it's a race to disaster. What they're actually, both countries are doing is creating what economists are calling a death economist, at least some economists are. It's an economic system that's consuming and polluting itself into extinction. You know, it's depleting all the resources it needs in the long run. It's depleting them in the short run. It's based on the idea of maximizing short-term profits, and it's just plain not working. We're headed for a disaster. The United States and and China together uh, contribute almost 50% to the global economy and almost 50% to global pollution. And so these two countries are really responsible for this devastation that's going on in the world. They both have been practicing what we could call an economic hitman strategy, which I helped to develop in the 1970s and later. And it's time that we really understand that this is a terrible strategy and we've got to turn it around. What we need to do is is create a life economy. We're in the process of doing it. The life economy is an economic system that pays people to mine all the plastic that's floating around in the oceans and, and do other things that clean up pollution and uh, regenerate destroyed environments that recycle and that create technologies that don't rely on fossil fuels for energy and and are sustainable in so many other ways that don't ravage the earth. Uh, We can do that. We're in the process of doing it. We just need to keep doing it and doing it faster. And these two countries, the United (laughs) States and China, need to agree that nobody survives on a dead planet. And, And we're in the process of killing life on this planet as we know it. So we must change it.
0: Well, okay. So for folks who are listening who don't know what an economic hitman is, yeah, share a little bit about that. A little bit about your background and why your why China, like your story, you know, what you're writing about with China, why it fits so well into this strategy, and why it's a new new brand of it.
1: Yeah. So you know, economic hitman like me in my time. uh, What we do is identify countries with resources that corporations want, like oil or copper, today lithium, these sorts of things. And then we arrange a huge loan to that country. In the case of the United States, it's from the World Bank or one of its sister organizations. In the case of China, it's from the BRICS Bank or AIID Bank, Chinese-controlled banks. The money from these loans is used to hire companies from those countries, the United States or China, to build big infrastructure projects in the country. Now the companies make huge profits off these infrastructure projects that are things like electric power systems, uh, highways and ports and industrial parks. So the companies make big profits. A few wealthy families in the countries prosper because they own the industries that benefit from improved infrastructure. But the majority of the people actually suffer because money is is uh, diverted from uh, healthcare uh, and uh uh, education and other social services to play, pay the interest on the loans. In the end, the principal can't be repaid. So the economic hitmen go back and say, hey, since you can't pay your debt, uh, sell your collateral. And the collateral is oil or minerals in the ground. <laughs> that's, that's part of the deal. Sell your collateral uh, real cheaply to our corporations without any major, without any environmental or social regulations, or very few of them. And uh, so this is a very bad deal uh, for for countries. And we perfected that system. uh, That's economic hitman back in the 70s, improved upon it over time. When the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, we took it to new limits. And then China uh, saw an opportunity here. And I taught at a Chinese uh, MBA program uh, a few years back. And I I really came to understand that what these young Chinese students who were uh, had been identified as the future leaders of China, they wanted to learn what how I, how I was successful and where I failed so they could do something similar. And so China has really developed this economic hitman strategy beginning about 2012 when President Xi came to power and reached out to the world. And now it, it dominates uh, Africa. It's the number one investor in countries all over the world, especially in Africa and Latin America, American countries with these resources. Uh, It's done an amazing job of perfecting a system that we developed and it's kind of left the United States in the dirt. But I want to emphasize that this, we shouldn't be talking about this as a race because it is a race to disaster. What we need to focus on is how we need to turn this around and stop this whole process altogether.
0: Yeah, John, you just dropped a lot of information like for you it's, you know, it's it's prose that rolls off your your tongue for people listening who don't understand what debt trap diplomacy is and really how, you know, I th- I think it is important to really understand that and how it goes back. I mean, in 20 in just in 2018 I was in Ecuador, actually right before we were traveling to Colombia. I went to Ecuador and I was in Yasuni National Reserve which at that point had just opened up and like convoys, Chinese companies, convoys after convoy going deeper and deeper. And while I was there for like three weeks watching this and I didn't really understand, but I saw if this is the first time you see it. So if it's all out there until you see it on the ground, until you go to Africa and different countries, until you go to South America and see Chinese businesses set up and that's what it looks like on the ground. How is this actually like strangling the local people? I mean, people look at issues of immigration in this country, in the U.S., right? Well, where, why? You know, no one's looking back to why people are coming here. What did we do to their countries? And so how is what is China's version of that? Like, that's what I really want to understand. What's China's version of that?
1: Well, Ecuador is a great example, Stephanie. So when Rafael Correa became president of Ecuador uh, back in, uh, what was it, 2007, he, and, and Correa has a PhD in economics from the University of mm. Illinois. He understands the system. Mm. Uh, when he became president, he one of the first things he did was appoint, he said, I don't think Ecuador owes all the money to the World Bank that the World Bank says we owe. And he appointed a commission to look into that, and the commission concluded that about ten about $10 billion of Ecuador's debt was not owed to the World Bank because the Ecuadorian people had not agreed on it. Mm. In fact, it had been, Ecuador had assumed this debt when military dictators ran the country, brought in by the CIA, it was during the 70s. When I was there, when I was working as an economic hitman in Ecuador, I can vouch, this is what happened. These military dictators accepted the debt and they ended up making a lot of money themselves personally. The Ecuadorian people never agreed to it, and so Korea then said, "Well, we're not going to pay it." Ecuador defaulted on some of that debt, and the uh, world uh, accrediting organizations like uh, Dun and Bradstreet, or like excuse me, like uh, Fitch's and Standard and Poor's, downgraded Ecuador to, to to nothing basically. So Ecuador is in a very difficult position. China steps in. And offers Ecuador a $1 billion loan, followed almost immediately by another $1 billion dollar loan at, at very good conditions. So Ecuador was able to pay back on the loan, and its credit rating went up. And over time, China steps in and, and ends up, uh, by the time Correa left office, I think the number had reached about $18 billion that he had borrowed from China, totally rejecting the United States and its banks, the World Bank, which is basically a, a US-sponsored bank, and turning to China because we had, the United States had screwed China, frankly. And, you know, Correa was interesting. He said, you know, the bankers shouldn't give a loan to a country they know can't repay it. The World Bank is responsible. Ecuador's people are not responsible. We didn't accept this loan. And uh, the World Bank should not have given it to those dictators. And so maybe it's the World Bank that owes us money. Maybe it's John Perkins <laughs> and other economic on the hit that owe it. But the Ecuadorian people don't owe it. Mm-hmm. And this has gone on and on in countries uh, across the globe where the United States has has created a situation that people are resentful of and now China comes in and you know China does some very bad things in Ecuador it's it's built a huge hydroelectric dam that's, that they built it on the fault line and next to an active volcano Reventador not far from where you were describing you were and the, and it's never operated properly. it's it's huge and it's it's eight. eight, eight generators and supposed to serve almost half the country it doesn't function properly they're building a huge dam to retain very toxic waste that come from gold mining and engineers say the dam is is bound to break and it'll be a terrible catastrophe when it does the water will go into Peru and Ecuador and, and Brazil down the Amazon River and out to the Atlantic it's a, it's a catastrophe they've done some very bad things But also, they offer these conditions that are very different from the U.S. in terms of the loan. So it's attractive to countries to take this on.
0: Have they employed the jackal strategy?
1: That's another good one. No, as far as we know, they don't do that. So the jackal strategy is, as you know, if during my time and subsequently, if leaders didn't agree to the conditions we economic hitmen offered, people who were basically CIA assets went in and overthrew governments or assassinated their leaders, like Allende in Chile and Arbenz in Guatemala and Mossadegh in Iran and Lumumba in the Congo, on and on, things the United States has admitted to. Most recently is Zelaya in Honduras in 2009, but those are just the presidents. It also happens with lower people. As far as we know, China doesn't do that and they don't have the reputation for doing that. And that's a really good point. And also the United States imposes what it calls neoliberal Economic policies on these countries when it, they accept loans, which basically means don't tax the rich or reduce taxes on the rich and reduce social services to everybody else. Cut back on that sort of thing. Trickle down economics, privatize, uh, get rid of government regulations. You know, the whole idea of, of the free market idea, uh, trickle down economics. We impose those on countries when we make loans. Uh, China makes a big point of we're not going to impose anything on you in terms of your policies. You can do whatever you want. You can you know you can be a dictatorship or a democracy. We don't care. Just take take our loans, hire our companies to build these projects, and when you can't pay back the loans, uh, turn your resources over to to our people.
0: So what I'm finding interesting is, um, you know, there's so much good, like you said, where there's so much activated right now around creating life economy and solutions and new ways and regenerative practices and even looking at regenerative economics. And at the same time, this conversation, it's silent. Like nobody's talking about what China's, you know, what's happening and how we're all responsible. We're all going to be you know, experiencing the ramifications. So why do you think there's, it feels like almost a smoke and mirrors type of cognitive dissonance going on, or what do you think that is? That it's just not in the conversation around sustainability and impact. Is it their greenwashing or, or what do you think it is?
1: Well, and I, I want to comment, you may hear my cat in the background periodically. She likes to get involved in the conversation. We're
0: touching the jaguar. It's good.
1: <laughs> Her name is Jaggy. So there you go. Uh, you know, it's, um, we've got this attitude, unfortunately, in the United States, and it's, it's common of human beings, I think, to look at us and them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like to think of China as the bad guy. You know, China has all these coal-fired power plants. We, we forget that most of those are firing industries that are selling their products to the United States. So in a way, we're exporting that pollution. <laughs> we kind of forget that. Uh, you know, and and we don't see in the United States what many other countries see. And that is they see that in China, a country that's that had um, about 10 percent economic growth every year for almost 30 years, and brought 700 uh, million people out of dire poverty. No one else has ever done anything like either of those things. No one mm-hmm. in that we know of in written history. And also China, Bloomberg just came out with a report that in the last seven years, China has reduced pollution in seven years more than the United States has in 30 years. We don't want to hear that in the United States. We want to think of China as, as bad. We want to talk about the Uyghurs and, and Hong Kong, mm-hmm and Taiwan. And if I bring that up with with people in Latin America, they say, well, that's, yeah, that's that's bad, but what about the United States' treatment of immigrants? You mentioned that earlier. What about your treatment of immigrants and incarcerated minorities? And if you wanna talk about Taiwan and Hong Kong, what about what the United States is doing in Afghanistan and Iraq? And so, the, the rest of the world looks at these things a little bit differently, that, yeah, China does bad things, the United States does bad things. We need to cut back. And what we really need to do is stop focusing on that and focus on the incredible importance of converting the death economy to a life economy.
0: How do you see that happening, considering like this rampant global takeover? I don't, I don't even want to use the word global takeover because then it's assuming that we're victims. Right. But like with China's strategy right now, how do you. See that life economy well, taking over.
1: I want us to understand that the real enemy is not China, and for China to understand that the real enemy is not the United States, uh, the real enemy is our attitude toward what it means to be successful humans, mm. on the planet. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I like to think that if there were, if if a UFO or fleet of UFOs were descending on us and there were aliens who were threatening to attack us, we'd all come together. China and the United States, we'd come together. It's time to recognize that that we are the aliens. Human beings aren't the aliens, but our attitude that we are a part from rather than a part of nature, Mm -hmm. supremacy over nature, that we have the right to exploit nature without any limits, that has alienated us from our own planet. We are the alien or our attitude. This idea of short-term profits, short-term materialism, that's an alienating attitude. Let's come together. And you know, China and the United States can disagree on everything else. We can disagree on Taiwan and Hong Kong and Uyghurs and, and Iraq and Afghanistan, everything else. But let's agree that nobody survives on a dead planet. Let's agree that this death economy that we're competing to, to, to be best at it isn't good for anyone. Do we need to create the life economy? Let's let's come together and compete to make the life economy. Or even better, let's let's act like we're part of a relay race together. China and the United States we're handing the baton back and forth to each other as to who who can keep piggybacking off the other to be greener, to bring about this life economy. How do we make mm-hmm. that?
0: Yeah, and I think that there's so many people right now focus like the growth of focus right now on regenerative economics and real systems change. I mean, I think it's the beginning of that is to really conceptualize what it looks like before how we do it. You know, because I think it's very easy to want to fix the system within the, within the matrix and the programs that created the system. And I, 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 do you think that that's possible? You know, to create solutions for like a, a real life economy with what we know about economics today, or is it something completely different that we have to all tap into first?
1: Well, I, I think we are in the process of tapping into something different. There is a consciousness revolution across the planet. You know, I I travel a lot speaking and I took a little break and did it virtually during the pandemic, but I'm back doing it again. I just came from Latin America. and headed to uh, Europe and several uh, places this summer. To speak, and and everywhere I go, I I find that uh, you know people really are waking up. We know yeah oceans are rising, the glaciers are melting, and and you know things are coming about like uh, the solar and, and wind revolution. That's huge it's happening <laughs> you know who would have guessed 20 years ago that we'd be where we are today in terms of solar and wind and conscious capitalism and the green new deal and B cor- corporations benefit corporations you know, we we are moving forward in that direction mm-hmm. and you know it's interesting that that uh, china's doing a lot in that direction i was impressed when i met with the when i was with these students at this mba program in china how they said you know we've suffered through terrible pollution in our lifetime. We don't want our kids to go through this. We created an economic miracle and it came at a terrible price socially and environmentally. Now we're gonna create a, an environmental and social miracle. That's what the Chinese students who were you know, gonna be future leaders in China were saying. Will they do it? I don't know, but I, I, I think we ought to compete with them on that level or join them and, and, and have our MBA students looking at the world that way too. Mm-hmm. States students have never suffered the kind of pollution that China has suffered. So we don't have quite the same context, but uh, we know that we must change. And, uh, you know, the the big change is a perceptual change. And all reality is molded by our perceptions. You know, there's there's no United States, there's no China, there's no corporations, there's no religion, there's no culture, except as people perceive it. And when enough people accept a perception or or codify it into law, it has a huge impact on reality. We have a perception that to be successful is to mean materialistic accumulation. And to be successful in business means to maximize short-term profits. That needs to change. In a life economy, the goal is long-term benefits for all life, for humans and for nature, to honor those businesses and make sure that businesses thrive and make profits uh, reasonable profits and pay workers to clean up pollution, to regenerate destroyed environments, to do all the things that we know are necessary for a life economy. There's no reason why we can't do that, and I think we're on the way to doing it. You mm-hmm. know, I think in the United States recently, we've, you know, uh, the president has has uh, proposed many programs that really provide jobs for people in the business of of increasing solar and wind and other non-fossil fuel type of energy programs.
0: So what's different about the third edition? What's different about this book? Obviously, there's a focus on China. What you're saying right now, you said this 10 years ago, you've been saying the same thing right For, for a long time and in all of your books. And so what is uh, what is most compelling is, is it that the the situation with China right now is just so obvious that it's a compelling like w- wake up call?
1: Well, it's so the first edition was like about the first wave of economic hitmen, which are people like me. There were not very many of us going to other countries back in the seventies and eighties doing this. The second uh, called the New Confessions of an Economic Hitman. The second in this trilogy was about the second wave which were corporate executives, Mm. which were lobbyists, which were people that worked within the United States, not just overseas, but we in the United States were being hit by economic hitmen. And in Europe, in the higher income countries, in my time, it had been hitting the lower income countries. Then we also got into higher income countries, you know, with huge amounts of student debt, Mm. our debt, putting individuals in debt. And uh, it goes into a lot of detail about that now but at that time, that book, you know, as as the first two books were published, the United States was the only superpower. After 1991, when Russia, when the Soviet Union dissolved, the United States was was unfettered basically, and we sent our economic hitmen out to exploit the world. <laughs> and now suddenly China emerges, so the world sees a another alternative. uh, they can turn to China. Ecuador Mm -hmm. can turn to China, as we discussed earlier. Other countries can do the same thing. And it's also forced us in the United States to look at what does all of this mean? And for us to understand that there is a much bigger threat in the world than simply our own economic needs. And that bigger threat is uh, what we're doing to to the environment, what we're doing to the world. Mm -hmm. To get distracted, And, you know, today it's easy to get distracted by Chinese balloons or right now, you know, Chinese uh, top diplomats who are visiting the Kremlin in Russia or what the, the military movements of both China and the United States are doing. These are distractions, but in the long run, none of that is going to really determine the future of our planet. What is going to determine the future of our planet is whether we continue on this death march to a death economy or whether we convert that into a life economy. That's what's important. And I realize that, and especially after teaching in China and, and also spending a lot of time in places like Kazakhstan. And I, I was at a major international conference in, in St. Petersburg, Russia, I shared the stage with Putin. Uh, long be, uh, you know, this was in 2017 before Putin uh, demonstrated his insanity. <laughs> but, you know, and, and traveling around at that time after the second edition came out, I realized that the Chinese uh, emergence as a, as a second superpower is a challenge and it also really opens us to a tremendous opportunity to see that we must turn things around. We cannot continue at this level. So as we watch the Chinese uh, implement their economic hitman strategy, we can say, well, that's really bad. But that also makes us have to look at our own economic hitman strategy and say, well, that's bad too. Let's mm. both understand that what we're doing is not to the benefit of our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren
0: made a lot of good points that I wanted to kind of dive deeper into. And one of them is that perception right that that we're creating our, our reality is a function of our perception and I'm hearing you speak and it's it is easier to see when it's outside anything is easier to see when it's outside of you so if it's outside the United States we can look at China and see it right um, and then that's an opportunity to reflect on what's but how many people actually say okay well if they're doing that let's look at our strategy and I think that is really a macrocosm or a holographic imprint of the same way we are with ourselves. So I like, I'm hearing you and I'm thinking where in you, we talk about the death economy and everything outside of us, but it really, in order to have that, clean that up, I feel like what's important to say, and I'd love to hear you speak to this because I think you do it well in the touching the Jaguar is that we really need to look at where this stuff lives in us. Like, where does, I mean, and how do you even conceptualize that? But where does debt trap diplomacy live in me? Where does destruction live in me? Where does extraction live in me? And how do I proliferate that in, in my own, you know? And, and how is that, how, can those dots even connect to how it's proliferating outside of us?
1: Yeah, these are great questions, Stephanie, and I, I devote a lot of the uh, th- the final chapters of the third edition of Confessions of an Economic Hitman to answering that question. There's a lot of specific things that we well, that we can do, um, but one in particular, and I, I I like is is to organize consumer campaigns to recognize that corporations really control all of this, both in China and the United States. It's the corporations. And these governments pretty much serve corporations. And in the case of China, uh, most of the big corporations are at least fifty percent, a little bit more than fifty percent, owned by the government. So there's, you know, there's a relationship mm-hmm. that's, that's very um, open. <laughs> it was transparent in the United States it's it, there's a much it's a more subtle thing but the, the government and corporations are very closely aligned as most of us know mm-hmm. um, and so but we have a, a huge impact on these corporations because we're all consumers and many of us are employees of these corporations or investors and so forth. And you know, one of the things we can all do is, is uh, organize um, consumer campaigns, social networking makes that so easy. And I've had chief executives tell me, you know, I want my company to be greener, but if I lose market share, my, my primary shareholders will fire me and replace me with someone who only cares about market share. So please tell your audiences to write a letter. So I would suggest, Stephanie, that everybody listening, pick a corporation that you don't like what they're doing. It could be Exxon or Nike or uh, Walmart, whatever the corporation is. And look at some specific. Okay, I don't like the fact that you're not paying, paying your workers in Indonesia a fair wage. So write them a lot of saying, I love your products, but I'm not going to buy them anymore until you pay your workers a fair wage. And when you do, I'll see to it that hundreds of thousands of people know that I'll, I'll launch a huge campaign. Right now I'm launching a campaign to convince you to change. And you send that to these corporations and you send it to all your social networking circles and ask them to send it to all theirs. And these CEOs, a number of them have told me, if I get letters like this, I don't read them, but but somebody, somebody does. I get a matrix once a month that shows what our customers are asking of us. And if I can get 100,000 of them saying these things, I take that to our top investors. And I say, hey, we've got to listen to our customers. That's something we can all do. And there's a lot of other things that we can do. But one of the th- one of my favorite things, and I, I outline in the book, five questions that people can ask themselves personally uh, to, to really address what it is each of us as an individual can do.
0: I also really would love, because it's a, still, it's outside of ourselves. Yeah. And there's a lot we need, we can do and outside of ourselves. And then also, you know, what is the, what do we have to look at inside of ourselves? So we stop pointing the finger at the other and like, where does this, where does this energetically live in me too?
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, we all, um, or most of us do things that we know we shouldn't be doing. We, we drive our cars too much. We maybe fly too often in airplanes. There's all kinds of things. We eat. scream
0: We scream at the car next to us in road rage, Right. violence.
1: <laughs> we eat far too much meat <laughs> and on and on. You know, there's all kinds of things that we don't even want to confront. We need to confront those for sure. And I think beyond that is to ask ourselves these questions. And the, the, you know, the first one is, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? What will bring me the greatest satisfaction? And I would answer that question by saying, I want to write books. I love to write. I have some, a friend who's at the opposite end of the spectrum, kind of, he's a carpenter. He says, I want to work with my hands in wood. And the second question is, how do I do this in a way that helps transform the death economy to a life economy? And I would answer. I write books about uh, about that. I write books to inspire people to to do that. Like this most recent book. My carpenter friend would say, "I'll only use sustainable materials." And the third question is, "What's stopping me?" So this gets back to the jaguar. What's the jaguar in the path? You know, the indigenous people in the Amazon that I work with say, "When you when something stops you, when you when you've got a blockage, see it as a jaguar blocking your path." And so I would say maybe as a writer, well, I know I have to write every day, but I just don't have time to write every day. And my carpenter friend might say, well, my clients don't want to pay the extra price for sustainable materials. And the fourth question, when you touch that jaguar, and the idea being when you touch the jaguar, when you don't run, from that which is blocking you. When you confront it, when you really look at it, you're touching the jaguar and then you get energy from that and you get insights and you get wisdom, (laughs) you get answers. So when you touch that jaguar, how does it change your perception that then can change your actions? And for for me as a writer, I'd say, well, heck, I could turn the television off for an hour every night and write. That would give me seven hours a week. I I can write a lot in seven hours. And my carpenter friend will say, well, wait a minute, my jaguar tells me tell my clients it isn't a cost that, that the sustainable materials it's an investment in the future it's an investment and then the fifth question of what actions do i take you know i gotta write yeah. <laughs> i gotta write there in seven hours and a week and the carpenter has to start building cabinets like this and, and and houses and tell his clients and tell their children you know your family's investing in the future but all of us, it doesn't matter whether you're a plumber or a, car, a carpenter or a bus driver, you know, a parent, a teacher, uh, whatever you are, a lawyer, whatever you are, you can look at these questions and always do what will bring you the greatest satisfaction, because that's what's going to bring you the greatest joy. And, and that's when you'll be successful. But how do you do it in a way that helps to transform the death economy to a life economy? That's the same. stops. that. What do you do when you face what's stopping you? What 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 wisdom do you get? And then what actions do you take?
0: And then you reach out for coaching. <laughs> I actually, I love this. You know, years ago, you know, coaching was around personal development and, and transformation and performance and all the things, right? Leadership, wellness, all, all the things. And now I'm actually speaking in a few weeks at something called the Climate coaches alliance there's an event and there's actually a whole portal of coaches that are climate coaches and some of them you know we bring our own subject matter expertise and then we vet in with the coaching and the clients that I work with right now it's the coolest thing ever it didn't used to be like this where it's it's the personal transformation what i call the inner work of impact you know we all want to impact outside of ourselves and what is the inner work we need to, we get to do in order like touching that Jaguar actually it sometimes is asking for some inner work looking at some things right and unraveling that and trusting that as we do that we're dismantling the energies that are creating the economic hitman strategy
1: yeah well and I love that what you said about coaching the fact that there are coaches coaching that sort of thing that's that's a that's fairly new mm-hmm. and, you know I mean we're, we have an amazing ability to change right if you think about things like transgender and, and same-sex marriages, 20 years ago, you know, <laughs> these were foreign concepts, very controversial. Today it's pretty much accepted by quite many people and even codified into law that people have these these different rights that we, so, you know, and the pandemic taught us, I think, Stephanie, that not only uh, that we can change, but we can enjoy the change and we can learn from it. Mm. Things, are, things are moving. You know, I just came back from taking a group of people to Guatemala, like the trip that you were on with me to the, you know, one of your trips. And uh, one of the men on this trip was a senior vice president at Hewlett Packard, HP, Hmm. in charge of global marketing. He had 11,000 people reporting to him alone. And uh, he was very dedicated to the environment. And he was very proud to point out that Newsweek uh, last year, n- named uh, HP as the number one most uh, greenest company, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they actively seek out and and are drawn by investors who are greening, like uh, Berkshire Hathaway, uh, you know Warren Buffett's uh, firm, and uh, BlackRock, and you know all these companies have some problems. Nobody's perfect, but there are a lot of investment organizations, individuals, and institutional investors. Who increasingly understand that the future lies in creating a life economy. The future lies in that the heroes of uh, the, the heroes that are coming up now in the corporate world will be those who understand the importance of the life economy.
0: Yes, and <laughs> it's interesting because the same with companies and governments. You know, when we speak about China, it's this big big land mass, you know, and then there's people there's the, so far in this conversation with you, on one hand, we're hearing that China is doing a lot for sustainability and greening and contributing to, you know, drawdown. on the other hand, major detrimental impact to the environment and global hegemony. Right. And then, and then at the same time with companies like BlackRock, you know all the great things and and attempts at ESG and, and impact, and then they're still heavily invested in fossil fuels, right? And so there's two sides to the coins, and how do we, um, for you know it, it's a easy to judge. I I fall into that trap a lot, judging and say, oh, the big company or, oh, the big country. Well, how do you kind of reconcile that, that there's both hands, you know, like there's both going on. It's kind of a cognitive dissonance moment where we do that in our own personal lives. We can do all the good, but then we're also, you know, whatever else we're doing.
1: Well, it's a revolution. We're, We're in a consciousness revolution and revolutions take a little time. You look at the American Revolution, which really, in a way, started during the French and Indian War back in 1754, 55, didn't really get going until 20 years later in, in 1774, 75. But it had begun, the whole process had begun, and there was this, a, there was this growing uh, idea that, that, that it didn't make sense for Americans to be under the rule of a king in England and it grew it took time and even in you know Thomas Jefferson back in i think 1774 said and, and historians have kind of confirmed this 30% of the people want us to stay with england 30% want us to separate from england and the other 30% doesn't don't know what they want and he said, you know, we've got to focus on that 30% that don't know what they want. And as we bring them around, and some of the 30% that want to stay with England, well, they'll start to change too. Mm. And, and it took a while, you know. I mean, George Washington lost practically every battle he fought for many, many years until started to, to win and, and hang in there. And and so, you know, that was a physical revolution. We're dealing now with a consciousness revolution, but it's taking a mm-hmm. time, but we're getting there. And I think, I think as it builds up, it, it starts to happen fast. It's it's that it's that hockey hockey stick shaped curve. You know, we've been coming and going along like this, but but we're starting to now take off at the corner. And and, and as long mm-hmm. as people like you and I and, and so many others keep promoting this idea that we must change and we can change, we must convert the death economy to a life economy, and we can do it. And you know, I was recently teaching at a, at a at a place in Costa Rica, and there were some other teachers there. One in particular, I'm not going to mention any names, but a very, very well known uh, teacher. Uh, and and he's he was very negative when I talked about this. He said, you know, China and the United States just aren't going to get along. They can't come together to agree on this. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. What about Germany and Japan after World and the United States after World War II? And we were deadly enemies during World War II, and very quickly. We became allies, (laughs) you know, the world is, the history is full of examples of countries that come together to face a common enemy. And we've got a common enemy right now, that's seeing ourselves as aliens, that's seeing ourselves as, you know, human supremacy, you know, I hate white supremacy. It's a terrible thing. And human supremacy is a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. We are superior over, we can control nature. Nature is telling us you can't control, uh, you can't control me. <laughs> I'm going to, the glaciers are going to melt if you keep doing, what doing you don't keep trying to control me. I'm going to rebel. And, and we need to listen to that. And I think we are listening more and more and more. And, and again, I think we're on this. We're just beginning to take to, to turn the corner to go up into the hockey stick. Uh, that's mm-hmm. that's my belief. It's my hope, and it is my belief. But we need to keep pushing for it. We need to get rid of this negativity that says, yeah. "Oh, it won't happen. We can't do it," because history history is written by those who go against probability,
0: To defy
1: mm. probability.
0: History is written by those who go against probability. I love that. We choose our destiny and (laughs) defy the odds. And there is, there's a lot of doom and gloom. So I love that, you know, that you're continuing and you have for decades to hold the torch on the life economy. One last question for you, John. In this book, is there anything controversial? It's coming out this week, right? February, the end of February here is when we're recording. And I'm curious if there's anything controversial in there that you're, (laughs) <laughs> Curious about what's going to happen. What's about to unfold?
1: <laughs> you know, it's uh. I, and I in the introduction, I I make a plea. I say, you know, uh, I find that when I when I say anything good about China, uh, people in the uh, there's going to be people in the United States that are going to say, oh, you're bad mouth in the United States in favor of China. And if I say, and, and people in China, uh, will will say something, you know, the opposite and similar. And the idea. So yes, there'll be people that'll object to various things. There can't be any question and I welcome that. I, I hope they'll give me the opportunity to explain because I'm not trying to paint either country as good or bad. I think there's good aspects to both countries and and bad aspects. And I'm an American. I want to focus on what I can do in my country as much as possible. And that requires criticism. Democracy is based on critical analysis of what you're doing. It's a constant process of looking at, are we working? And we're not working very well these days. I don't think there's many people that wouldn't agree that it's kind of a dysfunctional system to a certain degree. And we know we've been creating this death economy. We need to really look at that and so when people feel critical and I, and i say in the book you know my my attempt is not to be biased in either way but i'm human so you'll probably find areas where you can pick on me as having a bias but please know that it's not my intent to be biased my intent is to point out the reality of where we are today and where we need to go and the fact that history tells us that we can change we can mm-hmm. this new direction and we must if we want to survive, if we want our, our progeny to survive on a planet any of us will recognize or would recognize, um, we must change, we simply must change. And I think, Stephanie, people like you and I ought to be very blessed, feel very blessed that we live at this time because it's a time of tremendous opportunity for transformation. It's a time that's been forecast by prophecies and many cultures, as as you know, studied some of the cultures in, other parts of the world and it is a time that we've been told over and over would be an opportunity as a trend we're in a portal where we can make this transition and i'm very optimistic that we are in the process of making it and uh, we just have to keep going and we have to make that turn and go shooting up
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: consciousness growth of consciousness
0: consciousness the consciousness curve <laughs> yeah. um yeah, it is that upswing. I I love that. And I feel like also I wanted to add to that that in this journey also being really open to like you know you're sharing a different perspective, a different perception, you're inviting people into a different perception and that requires us being open to information or facts out there that might disagree, that we might disagree with before we can like judge it and label it, right? It's like to just be open to you know this is a democracy it's like let's allow people to share their opinion and and we can know you know yeah. like
1: yeah and i would love you know i've got this uh there's a, there's a webinar thing coming up if, if people buy the book that they'll, they'll see that uh, if they go to my website they'll see that they can participate in this and and that'd be a great opportunity for people to criticize me to raise questions and, and i'd love to you know if people have questions or thoughts and and that, that by then they will have had a chance to read the book if they if they do and i also want to point out if people people like sign copies and i have a local bookstore here that's owned by a family and if you go to my website you can order from them it's it's in it, the, the, all the information is there how to and i'll go in and sign the book so uh it's johnperkins.org and if you if people are interested and and i really want people to question i i want to be i want criticism I, I, as i said democracy is built on critical analysis of what we're doing and how mm-hmm. do we get better how do we get better how do we how do we learn from our mistakes as well as our successes and continue to get better
0: thank you so yeah if anyone didn't hear that it's johnperkins.org we'll put all the links and we'll put a link to uh, where you can find the book in the show notes as well and where you can find all of John on social media and yeah join the discourse join the conversation your voice matters so any, any last piece of wisdom, John, before you just,
1: I think, I just want to repeat, I think we should all feel that very blessed to be alive at this point in history. We have an amazing opportunity to participate in probably the most important movement in, in human evolution. We are evolving. Our consciousness is evolving and that's very, very exciting. And thank you, Stephanie, for, for bringing all this out to people. It's so important that we just keep spreading the word
0: thank you john yeah thank you thank you it's great to connect with you again and yeah as we evolve we all evolve so it's like let's do our part and i love your books and thank you if you you know check out john's website also he's written many other books and yeah we'll have you back for your next book john so thanks for being here
1: thank you thanks stephanie good one
0: Thanks for joining us on this episode of Catalyst Talks. Stay tuned for what's up next, and please subscribe to our podcast and rate us wherever you listen. You'll find these all at catalysttalks.com. Join the conversation on social media, and if you'd like to reach out, please send me, Stephanie, a private message through stephanietrager.com. Your attention means the world to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you.